Hi, everyone. If you couldn't already tell from the title, this episode talks about stillbirth, which might be triggering for some people. If that's you, feel free to skip this episode. Thanks, y'all. Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood, hosted by infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. That's moi. Hello, everyone. So glad you're here today. This is episode 52, and today we are talking with my good friend, Amy Baker, all about her journey to parenthood. Amy is an endometriosis and IVF warrior, as well as a stillbirth mom. And today we are going to hear all about Amy's story. Where do you begin to talk about stillbirth? How does that conversation even start? Well, today Amy reclaims this part of her journey with humor and grace and really sheds some light on this thing that no one likes to think about and certainly no one likes to talk about. Amy, it's just a privilege to have you on the show today. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's get a little Amy bio in before we start. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you're from. So I am Amy. Um, I live in Canada, Nova Scotia, so way east. Um, And I work in a hospital as a rehab assistant. So I do physiotherapy and occupational therapy assistant. Um, yeah, I have a husband and a dog who is my best friend (laughs) and that's about it. Really. That's all the important things. Nova Scotia. That's like, I don't think I've ever met anybody from Nova Scotia. I know it's way over there. So it's as far east as you can go pretty much. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it a little, I I don't, I'm not good at geography, but isn't it a little island? It's, it's not, but it it is. It's, it's not an island. There's like a piece of land that attaches us to our next province over, which then attaches you kind of, you can go all through Canada, but it is like a tiny little sliver that like sticks out at the end of Canada. So it kind of looks like an island. Man, you know, I just got to say, I love Canada. (laughs) Do you? Where have you been in Canada? Well, my dad was born in Italy, but when he immigrated over to North America, him and his family landed in um, Sudbury, Ontario. Okay, yeah. And um, that's where, like, I have a bunch of cousins in Canada, and there's just, you know, it's just gorgeous up there. It It really is. is. I love Canada, too. I have to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite place. (gasps) Well, um, why don't you tell us about your infertility journey? And 
Start with when you and your husband started trying to conceive. Okay, so I'm going to try to breeze through it because I don't want to be here all day. But <laughs> And even if you are, Amy, that's okay. <laughs> uh, my husband and I started trying in, um, I think it was May of 2015, we were due to get married in September of 2015, so we were naughty, and we started trying early. Um, I have... Oh, you were living on the edge. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, May seems good. Like, if I get pregnant before the wedding, whatever, I won't be showing yet or whatever. Um, but I knew I probably wouldn't because I have endometriosis. Um, and my doctor said, you won't... He didn't say, like, for sure you'll have trouble with fertility, but he said often women that have endometriosis do have trouble. So he was kind of my gynecologist that I saw for my, it was at this point suspected endo because I hadn't had a surgery yet, but I had all the signs and I'd been seeing him for, I don't know, eight years or something. And anyways, he was the one that was like, I don't want to rush you or anything, but just so you know, this could affect your fertility. So whenever you feel ready, He's like, you know, go for it type of deal. Um, so it was May of 2015. I was only 24, I think. So I was relatively young. Um, my husband also was 24. Um, so I went off my birth control that I was on. And we just, like, didn't really think anything of it. We were just like, whatever. Like, we won't really actively start trying until we get married. Um, but then there's like, people say you should get off your birth control cause it takes however many months to get out of your system, which my doctor said wasn't true, but anyways, I did it anyways. Um, and so we started to try naturally, uh, in May of 2015 and we kind of went on trying for quite some time. Like he said, try for a year, which is like the standard, um, and then come on back and, if you're not pregnant, we'll go from there. So we tried for, for a year and nothing really happened. And then I went back and he said, okay, well, he was like a year is what we typically ask. But, you know, you could keep trying for a bit. Like, because I hadn't really been, we had just kind of been trying willy nilly. Like I wasn't necessarily really tracking ovulation or doing any of that stuff. I mean, he gave me like a general timeline that was like, you know, if you do it, you know, every two days or so in this time in your cycle from like day 10 to day 20, you should hit the mark. So, but like, we weren't really like, I wasn't knee deep into it. It wasn't running my life or anything. So he said, well, why don't you get more serious and do an ovulation kit and make sure you're ovulating and, you know, pay attention a bit more. So we did that for another six months, still nothing. And I went back. And so we said, okay, we have two options. You can get, I can do a laparoscopic surgery to go in there and actually confirm that you have endo um, and remove it if it's there. Um, or he said, you can jump right to IVF. And so he was, I was like, okay, well, he said, sometimes women get pregnant naturally after they get their laparoscopy because we clean everything out. And he's like, I'll do an HSG while you're in there, like the dye test. And he said, I can't, he's like, there's some evidence that says 
women will get pregnant afterwards. And then there's some evidence that say they won't. So he's like, I can't really give you like a solid answer. It's just something that if you were interested in trying, you could do. So decided to do that because IVF was like for, in my mind, I was not ready to do IVF. Um, and so scheduled me for a lap. I got that done in April of 2017. So we'd been trying for about two years when I got that done. Um, got my laparoscopy done, went in, it was supposed to be a day surgery. Said so takes about half an hour, an hour, uh, went in, <laughs> woke up about five hours later. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Tell us about that. So I just, I had a lot of endo. So I had stage four. He said it was deep. Um, it was everywhere. Uh, it was, he just said it was like hard to remove because it was so like everything was so fused together. So for people that don't know, endometriosis is basically every time you get a cycle, you, the tissue that grows on the, that is supposed to grow on the inside of your uterus grows in other parts of your abdomen. And then it, kind of creates like a scar tissue type situation. And then every month that you have a cycle, it kind of grows and grows and grows. And so, um, I just had it really bad. He was like, I was not expecting that. Um, he had to consult like other doctors to come in cause it was all oh my, my God, like you were under. Yeah. He was like, we need backup yeah. right now. Yeah. Oh he was like, God. call in the pooper people because I had it on my bowels. Oh my he was like, I'm out of my league. <laughs> <laughs> I just deal with like vaginas and uteruses. <laughs> oh my God. I yeah. can't. That's it. That's intense. So was. what was the recovery like after that? So for me, it was. Um, anyways, I finished that. They kept me overnight because I also had issues with the anesthetic. They couldn't wake me up. Um, they have no idea why. And so they kept me overnight for observation because it was like such an intense surgery. Uh, it was pretty sore, like lots of bleeding. But I mean, when they do that, they cut it out and they burn it out. Like they, they cauterize it. So, I mean, it's pretty, if you imagine, it would be pretty uncomfortable to have your insides burned and cut. And so they kept me overnight. And do they go vaginally or abdominally? So they go laparoscopic, so abdominal. It's like okay. four, they do four keyhole, like four little incisions in your abdomen. Okay. And then they stick like tools and cameras and stuff in the holes. I'm sure they go up vaginally too. I'm actually not sure. I was asleep, so. Okay. Got it. Um, so I went home the next day. Uh, they put me off work for six weeks, which is like, not typical. Like, I don't want anyone listening to this that's like, I'm about to get a lap to, like, base their experience, like, their expectations off of mine because it was very rare. Usually you're in and out in a day and you're, like, back to work in a few days. Like, it's usually pretty minor. Um, put me off for six weeks. I do have a, like, I do a lot of lifting and moving people and stuff at work. So I think that might be why. Went home, spiked a fever had to go back in, had, they don't really know why, but I ended up in the hospital for like five days. I was super sick. I was like barfing my guts up, still in a lot of pain, having diarrhea. Um, none of my blood tests came back with an infection. They had originally thought that maybe 
um, because they were working so close to my bowels that I had a bowel obstruction, like they had cut my colon by accident or something. So I had to get a bunch oh of testing my done. Gosh. <laughs> it was hell. <laughs> it was hell. What? And it's like, like I said, it's not the typical like experience from a laparoscopy. Like they're pretty straightforward. They're day surgery. You're usually in a note, but like, I'm just the lucky one that always gets to be like that shitty statistic, like 1% <laughs> chance that this could happen to you. And I'm like, yep, there I am. Oh my God. Anyways. Okay. So it was, I was sore for quite a bit, um, a few weeks. And then after that, I was fine, <laughs> I guess. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Again, not the typical experience people have with laparoscopies. I'm like I'm people I get DMs people asking me about it and I'm like I'm the worst person to ask. Like I'm in that <laughs> you like You do not want to hear my story. Yeah, about when you sign the waiver about like the 0.001% person, I'm like that's me. Like <laughs> please don't ask me, go ask somebody else. <laughs> uh, it was bad. Okay. So, anyway, so after that, six weeks, right? You were you were not working for six weeks, and that was yeah. the recovery period. Yeah, it was a long time. <laughs> That's a long time. And yeah. and did you guys start like trying naturally again? Or? So what for me after my lap because of like how much work he did in there, he recommended that I do um, a three month medically induced menopause. Um, basically just to let my like insides recover. Like he didn't want me going through cycles and having periods and having more like endo tissue grow. Like he wanted to let it heal real good. And so they put me on this medication that put me into a three month long menopause. So obviously you can't try then cause I wasn't having a cycle. Um, the medication was called Lupron Depot. So it's different than the, Lupron daily injection that people use often in their IVF cycles. It's a monthly IM injection. So I did that. That was awful. It's menopause. So like night sweats, not sleeping, hot flashes, like all the gamuts, the worst drug I've ever been on. And I've been on a lot now. Um, did that for three months, had one cycle after I got off that and got pregnant the next cycle which would have been in September. And that was naturally. That was my natural pregnancy. Yep. Wow. Okay. So that was in September of 2017. So two and a half years kind of into the journey, I guess. Okay. So yeah, it was wild. I didn't really expect to like he, cause he was very clear with me. He was like, I'll do the surgery, but he's like, there's not a whole lot of evidence supporting it. So you know, mm -hmm. and he said, if you end up doing IVF, sometimes they want to do a lap anyway. So um, that's why I decided to do it. So I wasn't really expecting it to work per se mm -hmm. in that way. And I was shocked when it did. Like I didn't even, I was like 11 days late for my period when I tested. <laughs> like I wasn't. Wow. You were really not expecting it. Yeah. Like I wasn't. Um, I just wasn't really expecting it. And I kind of was like, because I had 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 that three months of like not trying, I was kind of like in this bliss of not trying. And so we were still having sex and stuff, but, and I was doing like the every two days or whatever. Um, and then it was like one day I was like, I haven't had like, when was my last period? And I had to go like, look 
on my app and it was like, I was like eight days late or something, but sometimes my periods are inconsistent. So I wasn't really, and I was having a lot of cramping. So I was like, Oh, it's coming. Like <laughs> it's coming. And I was like, well, if it doesn't come by Saturday or whatever, I picked a day and it didn't. And I took the test and it was super positive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was wild. Okay. And so take us from there. So from there, um, yeah, like I just, everything was fine. I was nervous, like for like to get to my 12 weeks where you're supposed to be in like the safe zone. And I had a lot of friends that had miscarriages. So I was very like aware that they happen and they happen quite frequently. So, um, but yeah, I made it 12 weeks. Everything was great. I got a little ultrasound at 12 weeks, which is not typical here, but because I saw, uh, my same gynecologist that follows me, he works in the hospital. Um, he gave me an ultrasound, which was awesome at 12 weeks. And then, uh, yeah. And you saw a heartbeat at 12 weeks. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. There was a heartbeat there. Like, everything was normal at 12 weeks. Everything was great. And so we kind of puttered along. I think I did my Facebook announcement when I was, like, I don't know, 15 weeks or something. Um and then we went into, we had our anatomy scan at 20 weeks and we went into that. Um, and here you go into the hospital and you just go like to an ultrasound technician and then they do the ultrasound and then like your doctor looks at the ultrasound after the fact, like it's not with the doctor. So we went to that. I'd never done one before, so I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, um, I'd never. Okay, so explain that one more time, what an anatomy uh, scan is. So that's your 20-week ultrasound where they look at, like, all the baby's parts, like their spinal cord and their heart and their brain and their, like, bodies and fingers and toes. Like, they just go over everything. Is that also where you get, like, the 3D image? Is that like where everybody gets the 3D image? No. We don't we don't hear. Okay. Um, it's there's probably a lot of variables between Canada and the US. Um our like our ultrasounds in the hospital and stuff are covered under our provincial um like healthcare. So it's like not fancy. <laughs> like we don't get fancy shit like that. <laughs> okay, got it. And typically it. typically your 20 week anatomy scan would be your very first ultrasound in Canada. You only get the one, your whole pregnancy. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like you might get an extra one thrown in there, but if they don't know you're dating, sometimes they'll do one. Like if they don't know when you conceived, they'll do a dating ultrasound before just to find out how far you are. But um, yeah, it's very different here. So do you know, is there a reason for that? Like it's just because, because our, um, healthcare is covered provincially. It's like, uh, the system is, um, like poor, <laughs> like they yeah. can't afford to give people everything. I see. Um, so they want to act kind of conservatively. They're pretty conservative. And that's with everything our, in our healthcare system. Like it's, there's a lot of pros that come with having the provincial healthcare yeah. system, but there's a lot of issues. Like oftentimes people wait a year or two for an MRI, like, Oh wow. Wait, yeah, the yeah. wait lists are very long. Anyways, that's like a whole nother discussion. But yes. So yes. 
I went in and I didn't know what to expect. I just knew it was going to be like an ultrasound. And so we went in and we had this tech and they don't tell you anything. They don't say anything. They just look at everything and they take pictures. They like point out things like, oh, there's the heart and there's his foot and stuff like that. And you just watch. Um, and so when she went to do the heart, she was like, I'm having a hard time getting a picture which is pretty common because, like, depending on the baby's position, sometimes they can't. Um, and she kind of was, like, trying and trying and trying and not really getting what she wanted. So she said, I'm just going to go get one of the other girls that's been here longer to see if she can get a better picture. I was like, okay. And then she left. And it was kind of funny because my husband was like, oh, my God, this is what happens in movies. Something's wrong. And I was like, Really? I don't yeah. think so. Like she just couldn't get a picture, but then a, like a quite a long amount of time went by, like a solid half hour, and nobody came back. And so that was when I was starting to be like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't know about this. And so I told I told Corey, my husband, I said if she comes back in with a doctor, like this is bad news bears. Um. Anyway, she came in after a while and she just said I'm going to get you to come back Monday morning I'm going to make you another appointment to get another ultrasound because just with his positioning and stuff I can't get a great picture um she said this happens all the time the baby's just not in a good position and stuff and she kind of sent us on our way so we left and we kind of both kind of had a funny feeling but it wasn't anything that we were overly concerned about at that point yeah, that's a that's a little jarring. You're like yeah. kind of you're you're I mean my mind would go in all directions. It would just start like, "Oh, we're having to pivot. Why do we have to pivot? What is good? What were we able to find?" Yeah. What was going through your mind at that point? I didn't point? know any better at that point. Like I really just kind of took it for what she said, to be honest. Like I didn't think a whole lot about it. Um at that point I lived a relatively anxiety free like <laughs> oh wow what what was what's that like <laughs> I don't know I don't remember now but I was like super chill like I didn't stress about anything like <laughs> was the good old days yeah I hadn't been exposed to that much I mean I was only 25 like yeah. I was just like <laughs> life was blissful yeah blissful yeah I mean even though we had it was a long time to get there I just I don't know. I just have that type of personality where I'm not very anxious or anything. So I don't know. I didn't really think, honestly, I didn't think anything of it. I like it crossed my mind a few times, but it wasn't, I didn't lose sleep over it or anything. Yeah. At yeah. that point. Um, and then I went to work the next day and I was working and then I looked at my, went back to my office and looked at my phone and I had a voicemail and it was from the gynecologist, like my gynecologist psychologist's office and it was just the receptionist and she had said hi it's so-and-so calling um doctor doctor so-and-so wants to see you first thing tomorrow morning and I was like oh that's definitely not good because at that point you I was only seeing him every four weeks and I had just seen him last week so that that was like definitely a bump up from I wasn't supposed to see him for another three weeks so that was when the red flags really went up I was like okay what the heck is this? So my appointment was until the next day. So I had one whole day of like telling all my friends, like being like, 
what do you think this is? And I had a few friends that were like, oh, don't worry. Like they might've just found a marker for downs. Like sometimes in the ultrasound, they see one marker, but I think you need to have like, I don't know, more than one to actually be concerned. Like I had had a friend that was like, oh yeah, I had a marker, but it was nothing. They usually don't really get concerned until you have two or three or something. So I had a few people tell me that. Um, I had another friend that said she, her son had had like irregular heartbeat which ended up being nothing in the end too so everybody was like oh it's probably something small like don't stress and I was like okay yeah yeah so you went to so okay fast forward to when you went to that appointment the next day yeah yeah so we went in and like I was super nervous like super super nervous I felt like I don't even know Anyways, I was so, I just, I remember being nervous. And when I, like, even in school, when I had an exam or something and I was nervous, I always got the worst diarrhea. And I remember being at the hospital in the waiting room. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, going to the bathroom, like, seven times, like, in the waiting room, being like, this is fucking awful. Like, they need to call me in because, like, this is so embarrassing. (sighs) Anyway, so we went in and, God love him. My doctor, he just is like, I don't know, different people need different types of care. Um, I'm all for like the straight shooter, like don't be sugarcoating nothing like, and he knows that. So, cause I had been with him for years now and he basically just said, I don't know his exact words, but he basically said, we found some very, very concerning things with the baby's heart. I was like, okay. So then I I immediately went to like, okay, maybe it's Down syndrome. Maybe it's cerebral palsy. Like I started thinking of like all these things that it could be. And like just thinking like, well, I work in the medical field. Like I work with people that have disabilities. Like it's going to be okay. And then he was just like, he, he said the two most concerning congenital heart defects that he that the baby has is a I don't know they have big long names it's irrelevant <laughs> but okay a, can you a, describe them yeah yeah a was this other one and it basically meant um that the two main arteries in the heart were um twisted and and they inserted in the wrong ventricle so mm. one's supposed to go on one side one's supposed to go on the other side and they were reversed Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so he said, that's the biggest issue. And then he said, there was one other one. I can't even, honestly, I can't even remember which one he told me, but he said, he said, basically they're both very serious. Um, And he said, this is what we're going to do. He said, I can't give you all the information that you need right now because we're now out of my kind of league of specialty. He said, so what's going to happen? He said, I feel really badly. It's Friday, but he's like, you're going to come in Monday. You're going to see a high risk pregnancy doctor. um, If not two of them. And then you're also going to see a cardiologist. And so I said, okay. (laughs) So the cardiologist is going to analyze the baby's heart. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow. he said you're going to get more. He said you're going to have a bunch more ultrasounds. One of them is going to be a fetal echo, which is just a um, like an ultrasound of just the baby's heart. Um, and from that fetal echo, the cardiologist will look at it and be able to give you more information, he said. So I was like, okay. And like, I still wasn't quite processing like exactly what was going on. And then I think he could tell. And he said, basically what you're looking at is, he said, you're looking at a life-threatening situation. And he says, I can't give you all the statistics. Like, you will learn that stuff next week. He said, but you're looking at making a decision on whether you would like to carry this pregnancy through or would you like to interrupt it? And I said, interrupt it? And he said, terminate. And I was like, okay. And I still wasn't like, man, it takes you so long to process stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That's like a massive question. I don't even know. I think like I would just start seeing images and my life flash before my eyes. Like, I don't even know how you're even recalling this. Yeah, like I definitely only remember bits and pieces, but... But still at that point, I was just like, I don't even, I think I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what? This happens? Like, I've never heard of this happening, really. Um, and so I just kind of was like, all right. <laughs> and so he, we left after that. Like, I think I maybe like dropped a tear or two, but I still was just like not able to process this information at all. And I had actually like left all my stuff at work like an idiot. I didn't expect something like that to happen. So like my, uh, I worked at the hospital across the street from the, the woman's hospital. So I just walked over. I didn't have my car keys, like I had nothing. So everybody at work knew I had this appointment. And so I had to go back to work just to grab my stuff. And it wasn't until I got back to work that it really like hit me. And I went in my office and my office has like several people in it, several therapists and people obviously were like, Oh, how was your appointment? Is everything okay? And then it was at that point when I said it out loud that I processed it and I literally like lost my shit at work. Like we had to close the door. I was like bawling my eyes out. Like snot was like dripping down my face. <laughs> like it was like, not a good scene. And like, all I could think about was like, I have to email my manager and tell her that I have to go home, which in retrospect, like I could have just went home and my coworkers would have told her that like I had to leave. Right. Um, but like, there was just something like you focus on one thing when you like hear something like that. And so I'm like sitting at my computer typing my manager like an email saying like I have to I had an appointment and I got bad news I have to go I don't know when I'll be back type of deal and so um yeah that was kind of like when it first started to hit me and you so you went home and you told Corey Corey was with me okay yeah, so he had, I left from work, he had drove in, we live over, just over an hour away from our hospital, so he had drove in the hour, um, and so he was with me, and then we had to get in our separate fucking cars and drive the hour and a bit home, um, and then I got home, and I just, like, I just beelined it to my bed, and I just, like, put all the covers over my head, and I just cried hysterically for, like, I don't even know how long, to be honest, like, forever, 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So fast forward the weekend, the longest weekend of my life. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Having, it was what torture. Was that, what was that Saturday and Sunday like? Like, was, I would just I don't be remember. In bed. Yeah. It was torture. Um, Corey decided to tell his parents. Uh, he's really close with his family. I didn't really tell. I told a couple friends, but, like, I really tried not to tell anybody anything because I didn't really know anything at this point. Like, all I knew was something was seriously fucked up, but I didn't know what. And I didn't have any information at this point. So I just felt like there was no point in telling people because they were going to ask me questions. And I didn't have any answers at this point. Like, I didn't know anything. And so his parents were sweet. They, like, tried to have us over for supper and, you know, try to distract us and stuff. But I don't remember that weekend. It was hell. It was, I'm sure, the slowest weekend of my life. Positive. And then we went in Monday, we had two ultrasounds, we had a fetal echo, um, we met with this specialist doctor, she kind of asked us what our understanding was of the situation, I kind of told her, and she basically said, yep, you're right, and then she said, so you have an appointment tomorrow at 12 o'clock with the cardiologist, because I had gotten ultrasounds like all day, I was there almost all day, um, and so she said, tomorrow at 12, you're going to come in and see the cardiologist. He's really going to be the, the key component to this. He's going to break it down for you and tell you. Um, and then from then, you'll have to decide what you want to do. And did they give you a timeline to decide? No, she kind of said, like, she said, no rush. Like, she said, obviously, like, it's a big decision. We don't want to rush you. But she also said, like, we don't want to wait too long because the longer you wait, um, if you do decide to terminate, then the more complicated it gets, the further along you are. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So there was no pressure and there was no pressure on what to decide either. Like they didn't say, well, you should keep them. You shouldn't keep like they were very like whatever decision is right for you and your baby. Like we will support you. Um, so went home again, probably didn't sleep, got up the next day, went in at 12 for a cardiologist appointment where this cardiologist met with us and basically explained all of these heart conditions. So he, uh, the baby ended up having, um, six heart congenital heart defects and a questionable seventh one that he was unsure of because he couldn't see yet on the ultrasound. So it was a long meeting. Um, he printed off like a regular picture of a heart, and then he drew a picture of our baby's heart, and he went over each individual congenital heart defect, and he kind of basically said, for this one, this is what we would do. For this one, this is what we would do. But then he was like, obviously, I can't do all these things at once. Um, so he's like, the first surgery that we would do for the main one, um, he says, you have to fly to Toronto to deliver. So it's like, go to a totally different province. And he's like, it's an exploratory surgery. So it's kind of new. Um, and he said they do it as soon as the baby's born, basically. Because he wow. said as, as soon as the baby's born, he won't he won't be able to breathe. <gasps> oh, yeah. gosh. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it was like very complicated and like I could get into it, but it would take hours. Um, but basically like to sum it up as best as I can, the bottom line was, um, it was, he said it was a palliative care situation. So he said, you know, I can do this and it will keep him alive. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, he's like, but then after we do that within like six months, they had to do another thing. And if he lives through that surgery, that'll last for, you know, another couple months. And then he gets another surgery to, to deal with this other issue. Like it was just like an immense amount of surgery. And the bottom line was, he said, we can do our best to keep him alive, but he's never going to be comfortable and he's, he's going to, he's going to suffer and then eventually die basically. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so that was like, you know, there was a lot more to it with like explaining each surgery and what they would do in the time frame and how that would affect them. But it was basically, yeah, like it was, he was like, I can, you know, we can do surgeries for his whole life, however long that may be, whether it's an hour or two years, he said, but the, he said, the bottom line is it's, it's a palliative care situation. So we're just going to palliative care in a way that like, we're just keeping him alive basically. Right. Right. Um, and so he kind of was like, I'm going to leave you for a bit. He's like, you don't have to decide anything now, but he's like, if you, you know, if you think you have an idea or you want to go back up and talk to your high risk doctor, I'll page her and she'll meet with you when you're ready. So he left for a little bit. Um, I knew in my heart kind of honestly from the Friday before that this likely wasn't going to end well. My husband, I think was a little bit more hopeful and I, I don't know why I think maybe cause I work in the medical field and like different statistics and stuff. They really like resonate with me. And I do believe like medical professionals, like I'm not someone that like someone says, well, you know, he has a under 1% chance of living. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like that. I'm hopeful that that's going to mm -hmm. be me. Like mm -hmm. not, I, I take statistics like that very seriously. Cause I see them every day in a note at work. Yeah. And so I kind of knew, but my, I, my husband, I think took a while. So he left and we kind of looked at each other and neither one of us really wanted to say it, but I think we were both thinking it. Um, so I finally came right out and I was like, I can't do that, Corey. I'm like, I can't bring this child into the world to only suffer, to breathe, like struggle yeah. to breathe, suffer and like go through all this shit. Like what kind of life quality of life is that? Yeah. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't see myself doing it and it had nothing to do with me. It wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that. I didn't want to stay pregnant for nine months and lose a baby. It just, it honestly, for me, I just was like, I can't do that to my baby. Like I just can't do it. And a lot of people decide the other way and they decide to stay pregnant. And I think that's amazing. And I think that's great um, for whatever reason, like whether it's religious or, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but for us, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, the right thing for our child. So mm -hmm. we decided that we were going to terminate. We went back upstairs. She scheduled us in to get induced. Um, 
I think it was a Tuesday. She scheduled us in on Thursday. So we went in Thursday morning. So two days later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I got induced. Um, there was like a lot of different options with it. I had the option to just get induced and have the baby. And she said, I mean, I was 21 in four days or something. She said he like he would likely die during delivery. Or I had the option to get like a, a long needle put into his umbilical cord and they basically would like put him to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that just because I just, same thing. I was like, oh, for him to be like, I don't, I know we don't know what babies think or even if they can think, but I'm like, that's so traumatic for a baby. Like, oh my God, I'm being born. Oh, I can't breathe. I'm dying. <laughs> like, I just was like, it seemed more peaceful to me, I guess. Me too. That seems like a very humane way to go about it. Yeah. So I got that in the morning. Um, I had induction. I had uh, tablets. So they use tablets. They inserted them into my uterus every four hours um, to like make me have contractions and stuff. Um, Labored for about 12 hours and had them that night at 930. Um, and when I had him, he was already like, he was already had passed away because they had done that in the morning. So, Mm -hmm. and, um, how did you, and you decided to name him Calvin? Yeah. We actually didn't know he was a boy until that day. Wow. Yeah. We weren't planning on finding out. We were going to wait till he was born. And then I think like, I don't know, maybe four or five hours before we had him, the doctor came in and she was like, do you want to know what it is? And I was like, oh, we were going to wait. But then I just felt like I was like, oh, that's a lot to like find out what he is and then have him and birth him and he's dead and like to go through all that. So she told us like shortly before we had him that it was a boy. Um, And yeah, we didn't have a name picked out or any. We had names picked out, but like we never I didn't think we were gonna have to name him or anything like but when you do the paperwork they they want you to name him and they say it helps with like grieving and all that stuff so um but yeah it was just a weird weird day did you hold him at all I did in the end I was really resistant to it uh as soon as I found out like that Tuesday that we were terminating I like did everything I could to try to disconnect from him I was like okay Like, I don't care what the sex is. I'm not going to find out. I don't care. Like, I don't want to see him. I don't want to hold him. And my doctor was very, like, not pushy, but she was very adamant. She was like, trust me, I've done this a lot. She's like, I've never had someone come for their follow-up and say, like, oh, I wish I, I wish I didn't hold him or I wish I didn't name him. She's like, but pretty much every single time people don't do that in their follow-up, they say they wish they had. And so I still was like pretty adamant. I wasn't going to do it until the the moment came basically. And then, I, and then I ended up doing it. Um, and they give you however much time you want. I think we kept them for like maybe a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, and then we gave them to the nurse and then we agreed to get like an autopsy done and stuff. Cause they were just going to check like everything else out. And they said they could learn some stuff for future pregnancies and stuff if they did one. So, um, yeah. And that was like kind of my stillbirth story, I guess it's like, it was complicated. Yeah. And how did you memorialize Calvin after he was born? Um, 
honestly, I didn't really want to do much. Um, we got his uh, ashes and stuff, and we wanted to, like, plant them with a tree. But we didn't end up doing it because we're not in our forever home. And so I just was like, what, are we going to plant them in a tree? And then I'm never going to want to move ever. Yeah. Or we're going to have to, like, dig up this Take tree, tree that's been growing. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so um, we haven't really done a whole lot that way. I got tattoos, actually. Um, I got his footprints tattooed on my forearm. Um, and then I got another tattoo of a quote on my ribs, which I don't have any tattoos until this time. So I don't know why I decided to get two, but I did because I couldn't decide between the two ideas. Um and so I guess that's what I did. My husband's a fisherman, a commercial fisherman. So he lobster fishes and halibut fishes and stuff. And so he shortly after built a new boat. Um, and he named his boat after him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. it is. It's really nice. That was kind of his way. I was kind of, he was going to get a tattoo too. And then he chickened out and I was kind of pissed off about it. <laughs> to <laughs> be honest. too. Yeah. Um, but then he ended up naming the boat after him. So I was like, okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, you are very open about your journey and you talk a lot about Calvin on your Instagram page. Why do you think it's important that everyone understand more about stillbirth and stillborn babies? I just think like, I feel like we've come such a long way with miscarriages just in the recent years. Um, but I think stillbirth is still so taboo and it's like I don't know it's all about kind of like bringing awareness and like normalizing it to an extent not that it's normal but it happens a lot um I know I've met a lot of people through my stillbirth um and it happens more than you would ever ever think that it happens and so for me, it's just, A, talking about it helps me. Talking about him helps me. Um, like, he, just like when any loss, like, that was real. Like, that was your child. Um, so, I don't know. I just, I feel the need to talk about it because it helps me. But I also just feel like stillbirth makes people so, so uncomfortable. Like, so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think the more you hear about it, maybe the less, uncomfortable people will get about it. Yeah, absolutely. People don't want to think about it. It's like they no. don't even want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to know it exists. Yeah. You know, they it's like this thing where they feel like they're going to catch it or something. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's contagious so, or something. A hundred percent. And I don't know how many times like I've been at work before and talked about it and like we've had like, you know, a new like new people come in since I went through that, um, just come in to cover like maternity leaves or whatever. And like, I've had, like, I remember one of my coworkers, like when I, I talk about it like pretty openly all the time. And when I talk about it, like he was like, Oh, I can't, his wife was pregnant. And he was like, I can't listen to all this. Like it's too hard and da 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 da. And I don't want to think about it. And I'm like, I get it. But like, it's like, this is something that happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't like people to be fearful of it, but, um, I just find people's resistance to go there is 
off, sometimes very frustrating for me. Yeah. Um, and I can understand if you're pregnant or you have, you know, your wife is pregnant. Like I do kind of can understand that, but I, I have people in my life that have kids and are done having kids and still it, they're like, I can't think about it and I can't imagine it. And I'm like, you could, if you tried, like if you really sat down and tried to think about what it would be like, like you have two kids, what it would be like to go through that. I'm like, you can, you can, you can imagine it. I'm like, you just don't want to right? because it's hard and it's uncomfortable and it makes you sad. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think are, I mean, you're kind of going into this a little bit, which I appreciate. What does our society get wrong about um, pregnancy loss, specifically stillbirth? I just think the, the people don't think it happens as much as it happens. Yeah. And, and they don't want to, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious at, um, after it happened, did people like not know how to interact with you? Was there, Oh yeah. like, talk about that. Uh, just like if you, t- when you bring it up, it like can really silence the room. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Like you go to a baby shower and people are like talking about, well, when I was in labor, this happened. And when I was in labor, you know, I went through this because, you know, all the fucked up things that can happen when you're in labor. (laughs) And then when Amy says when I was in labor, it's like pin drop. Oh, my God. Amy, I'm laughing, but like (laughs) I shouldn't be laughing, but I am. No, I know. I'm like, I went through that, too. Like, I know I don't have a living baby, but I labored and delivered a child mind you much smaller than your child but like the rest of it I can imagine I don't know we'll find out eventually but the contractions and shit like it's real like it wasn't fun yeah yeah and so like how did people how did people surround you in those months afterwards um I had like different experiences with different people. I had people come out of the woodworks that helped me that I never thought would and people that I thought would be the most supportive weren't. Um Yeah. Um there's not like there's not a whole lot really other people can do other than be there. Yeah. Um I had a lot of people cook me food which was actually really helpful because like I had no desire to like I was very, very depressed after that whole situation happened. Um, I went into a very like deep depression. I don't, there's gaps in the six months following my stillbirth that I don't even remember of my life. Um, I ended up going to see a psychiatrist. Like it was like a big thing. And then I was still battling my infertility, which was like adding on top of it. And I was very angry that I was like almost there, but then here I was starting IVF. Like it was, it was a lot. Um, and I honestly think there wasn't a whole lot that anyone else could do other than be there. People were there for me, but I didn't want like to leave my house Mm -hmm. type of deal. So, um, I had, yeah, but it was surprising the people that came out of the woodworks. And then, like I said, people that I thought were really going to be like my main support system really kind of disappeared. So it was interesting that way. And how, I mean, what can people do to comfort and support someone going through a loss like this? I mean, just check in. Um, The main thing is, honestly. I really like the food idea too. Yeah, that was helpful. 
Um, the main thing is honestly too, like, don't just check in for a week or two weeks. Um, I get it. People have lives that they have to live. And when you're in that situation, it feels like everybody's moving on and you're stuck. Um, but like make a note in your calendar, like six months after the date or the first Christmas after, or on the due date, like just put a little note in your calendar that says, Hey, like check in with Amy. Cause that's what ends up happening. Months go by and people go back to their regular life, which is fair. I'm not like, you know, dismissing people of doing that, but, um, like that six months, like a year after, like it was hard because I felt like nobody else really, nobody was checking in on me and I felt like everybody had moved on, but me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so your journey um, continued yeah. and you are, you are currently eight months right now, pregnant. Uh, yeah. Seven and a bit. I have seven weeks left. And you are, pr- are due in October, October. Yeah. Um, and what has pregnancy been like so far? Um, you know what? It's been, there's been days where it's been hard. I've been anxious. Um, you have these milestones set in your head and you think you'll feel better after them, but you don't. Like you're eight weeks again, you're like, I'll feel better. And then you're 12 weeks, you know, I'll feel better. And then, you know, for me, it was my 20 week. Like that was a big thing. I'll feel better after that. And then it was like, once I get past my gestational date where I lost Calvin, I'll feel better. And I didn't. And so I just think overall, you just have days that are anxious. I have to say, um, I have been pretty good. Uh, there's a point there after that stillbirth where my anxiety and depression was very debilitating. Like it was affecting my life in a big way. And that went on through the years that I did IVF too. And, um, I don't know what it, I don't know how I did this because it's not how anxiety works. Like anxiety doesn't make sense. It's not logical a lot of the times, but I just, when I was doing IVF, I was just, and I had done it for so long and I did two retrievals and multiple transfers. Um, I just, the whole time I said, if I ever get there, I'm going to enjoy it because I didn't enjoy it enough when I was pregnant with Calvin and that was all I had. So all my memories are like being worried and like, just like, you know, feeling sorry for myself because I was barfing all the time. Like I didn't really enjoy my pregnancy with him. And then when I lost him, it was like, I felt guilt because I didn't enjoy him while I had him. And so the whole time leading up to getting pregnant again, um, I, every day I told myself like, I'm going to do everything I can to enjoy this pregnancy. And I've done a pretty good job at it. Like I definitely have my moments and stuff where I'm anxious and my days that I'm off and I'm really anxious and I can't even think straight. But, um, for the most part, I've been pretty good. I've been trying to be happy. Yeah. It's a, it's a, um, conscious effort to do that. Yeah. Isn't it? And I, I Yeah. And I don't know why it worked because like I said, I, it's not like I hadn't tried that before. Like you can't just tell your anxiety to fuck off and it fucks off. Like it's not how anxiety works. Like you can't, I mean, if that was the case, no one would have it. (laughs) Totally. So 
I don't know how it worked out for me, but it just, for some reason, I just had that in my head. Um, and I had a lot of guilt when I lost Calvin that I didn't like enjoy it. Like I didn't bathe in it like I should have. And so I just was like, if I ever get there again, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy it. And I mean, I didn't enjoy it every day. Like I had a hard pregnancy. I had morning, I was sick all day, every day till 18 weeks. And I had other things come up on my anatomy scan that weren't as serious. Like, you know, there's definitely been moments, but I've been able to like take those moments with stride and still be happy yeah. for the most part. And this was an IVF pregnancy. This was. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So I did IVF for a year and a half back to back. I did one retrieval. I'll just go over it very quickly because I know we don't have time to get too deep into it. But I did one retrieval and unfortunately only ended up with one embryo. Transferred that embryo, fresh transfer. It failed. Did another uh, stem cycle, um, another retrieval, like pretty much back to back, like as close together as I could do them. Um, and then my second one, I ended up with seven embryos. And so I transferred one frozen transfer. I got OHSS that time transferred one, uh, frozen cycle didn't take transferred a second frozen cycle didn't take, um, then changed my protocol and went back on that, uh, Lupron depot, which is the protocol for endometriosis went on that for four months this time, um, so went into a menopause again for four months and then did my most recent transfer in January. Got it. Got it. And that was my ticket. Yeah. And um, so as we wrap up, I ask all my guests this. Um, what's something that makes your blood boil about infertility? Um, everything. I don't know. The whole, the whole process honestly sucks. Like I can find a few pros in it maybe, but it's hard to find them to be honest. Like, um, it's just like everything, it just sucks. And I just find it's frustrating because there's so many different treatments like protocols and different things. And it's just very confusing. <laughs> yes and overwhelming <laughs> and you don't really know what's going on when you're in it. Like I have a better understanding now that I've done it so much, but when I first started, I had no fucking clue what I was doing. Like not a clue. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people, including myself, admire your resilience throughout your journey. What advice do you have for someone who is going through something similar? Um, I mean, I don't, I have little tips that help me, but I'm not sure depending on your like personality and your type, it might not work. I have one weird one that I think is going to be the most uncommon out of all the community. But I actually, when I started IVF, I made a rule that I wasn't going to Google anything. Mm. Um, and I found it really helpful because like, I don't know. I know most of the women that I've met through this, like they're Googling everything, every little symptom, every protocol. And for me, that just stresses me out. Now I am fortunate enough that I had really good doctors and I trust them all with like all my care. Um, but for me, that Googling of things really it, causes it's a me trigger. to spiral. It can trigger yeah. stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. It really, like I really spiral out of control. Yeah. Um, so like it's a, it's kind of a weird one, but I do find if you're someone that not easily gets triggered, but like someone that would can spiral easily, like, cause you can look something up on Google and it can be like, you're going to die tomorrow or it can be like, it's nothing. Right. Like, so for me, it was just super helpful. Um, don't compare to other people because everybody's different. Um, run everything by your doctor. I find with the Instagram world, people often like I get messages all the time about my protocol and this and that. And like, I'll answer people, but I'll say, this is what worked for me. Like my history is different than your history. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind where I think sharing experiences can be knowledgeable and helpful, but I think it's knowledgeable and helpful in the way that you can then take that back to your doctor. Right. And if you go to your doctor and you bring up a concern, like maybe, you know, everyone on Instagram said I should get an ERA test or something. And cause I had had so many failed transfers. And when I went to my doctor about it, she was able to explain to me why that wasn't something that, she would recommend she said she'd do it if I really wanted to but when she explained it to me I felt completely at ease with not doing one like so if your doctor is not able to reassure you when you have questions then maybe it's not the right doctor for you right yeah yeah um well how can people find you and follow your story um so I am on the old Instagram and my handle is amy's a-m-y-s dot journey ttc oh amy this has been such a pleasure truly has truly i feel like i talked your ear off oh yeah but i i I wanted it i was soaking it up like i really appreciate it and i i know so many other women who will benefit from hearing your story so thank you i hope so yeah thank you Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.